All right, we do hope that everyone's doing well considering the things happening in this world today. We know that Yahuwah God will protect us and provide for all of our needs. So welcome to another episode of Bible uh, Question and Answer. We have three questions lined up for today. We'll begin with the first one, can the devil read our thoughts? But before we go ahead and discuss all about that, let's go ahead and look at the actual question sent in by our viewer. This is the question. Hi, John. Greetings from the Far East. So our brother or sister is from the Far East. I have the following questions. Well, number one, can the devil read our thoughts or know the depths or contents of our hearts? Number two, will it be a sin to accept debt's payment if such money is suspected to, ha to have come from a shady deal? The payer insists that it's clean money, though, but I feel otherwise. Well, please advise. Thank you, uh, and may your Abba Yahuwah be, be with us always. So let's go ahead and look at the first question. Can the devil read our thoughts? Can he know the depth and contents of our hearts? And so many of us think that the devil is some powerful creature. We know he is powerful, but there are limits to his power. He, in fact, is one of the angels whom Yahuwah God created long ago. And so because the devil is created, he is not in the level of Yahuwah God, who is the creator. Sometimes we have this image of Satan versus Yahuwah our God, as though there was a battle between good and evil, and it was like pretty equal in terms of uh, power and authority. But that's not the case. Yahuwah's creator, the devil was created. He was a fallen angel. And so we need to understand, yes, the devil has power, but at the same time, he was a created being. So how much power does the devil have? Hebrews 2, 5 to 7, God has not placed the angels as rulers over the new world to come, the world of which we speak. Instead, as it is said somewhere in the scriptures, what are human beings? Oh God, that you should think of them mere human beings, that you should care for them. You made them for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. As far as angels are concerned, the Bible says in terms of power, authority, strength, they have that in greater amounts compared to human beings. Because the Bible says you made human beings lower than the angels. However, even though angels have greater power and abilities than mere human beings, we know it is limited in power. We've never heard of an omnipotent or omniscient or omnipresent angel. When we speak of omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence, who do we think of? Yahuwah our God, the devil is none of those things. However, the Bible does not mention the specifics of the capabilities of angels. We know they are invisible. We know they can take different forms. We know they can deceive. And we know they have some kind of power that we human beings do not have. So uh, when it comes to the power of Satan and also the other fallen angels together with him, we know they have power, but limited in its ability. 
However, when it comes to Satan, there's something else we need to understand about him. Revelations 12, 9, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. And so the devil is a fallen angel, and we know that he's influential. Why? Because he deceives the whole world. Not only that, he's also, he was also able to deceive many angels who were thrown down together with him. So we know, yes, he has power. It's limited. And his one of his powers and abilities is the ability to deceive and to influence. We need to keep that in mind. However, does the Bible tell us that the devil has the ability to read our thoughts, to read our hearts, and to read our minds? Let's read the book of Psalms 139, 1-4. O Yahuwah, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Yahuwah. And so according to scriptures, yeah, who is the only one or who is the one who is able to read our thoughts. Who is that? Yahuwah, our God. He knows our thoughts even when we're far away. So Yahuwah has omniscience. He knows everything. When we look at scriptures, it does not mention that any of the angels, including the devil, has the same power that Yahuwah God has in terms of reading the thoughts of individuals. In fact, the Bible says that this power and ability is exclusive to Yahuwah. The book of 1 Kings 8.39, hear their prayer. Listen to them in your home in heaven. Forgive them and help them. You alone know the thoughts of the human heart. Deal with each person as he deserves. This is why we're certain that the devil has not the power to read the thoughts of individuals who alone knows the thoughts of the human heart. It is Yahuwah God and those whom he imparts this knowledge and ability to. Why do we say that? Yes, Yahuwah God alone is the one who knows the human heart and can read our thoughts, but to whom also did he give this ability to? Matthew 9 verse 4, knowing their thoughts, Yahusha said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your Heart. So Yahuwah God knows the thoughts of human beings. He can read the heart. Yahushua can also do the same thing because we know that Yahuwah works in Yahushua. And so Yahuwah and Yahusha know the thoughts of individuals. They can read our minds and the content of our hearts. However, the, the devil does not have the same power that Yahuwah and Yahusha have. However, so does that mean that the devil is no longer influential. He is. How is he able to influence individuals? How is he able to uh, control seemingly and tempt individuals? This is because in the book of Job 1, 6 to 7, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before Yahuwah and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? Yahuwah asked Satan. Satan answered Yahuwah, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. When it comes to Satan or the devil, he is studying human nature. 
ever since the very beginning, back in the Garden of Eden, he is an astute observer. He watches things. He patrols everything that goes on the earth. And why is he studying human nature? So that he can learn their psychology, so that he can learn their natural tendencies, their strengths, and their weaknesses. You see, the way that the devil is able to influence individuals is not by reading their thoughts, but by knowing what influences them and controlling that. And so when it comes to the ability of the devil, he likes to read the circumstances in our life, and he influences us using those very things. Now, how does he do that? Does he change the contents of our thoughts? The book of Chronicles chapter 21 in the verses 1, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Here's an instance of Satan influencing an individual. Satan moved David to number Israel. It doesn't say Satan uh, placed thoughts in, or read thoughts in his mind and, and manipulated the thoughts of his mind. He moved David to number Israel. In other translations, he prompted David to number Israel or to tempt him. When else or who else was influenced by Satan? John 13, 2 and 27. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Yahushua. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Yahushua told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. According to what we read, here's another example of the devil influencing an individual. This time it's who that he influenced. It was Judas Iscariot. And how does he influence him? He prompted Judas to betray Yahushua. And when Judas began, the, began acting on the influence of uh, the devil, what happened to Judas? He became more and more open to the influence of the devil. You see, when it comes to the devil, before he can enter an individual, you have to allow him to enter you. And the way the devil does that is by prompting you to do what he wants you to do, what he wants him to what he wants you to do. And so once you take the bait, then you open the heart to him. And that's what he, he does. This is why we have what are called demon possessions, right? We have exorcisms taking place. These are real things that take, that take place. The devil has the ability to influence us by prompting us to do what he wants done. And when we begin to do that, when we bite, so to speak, he influences even more to the point that he can enter into us. And so that's one way he influences us. So he's influenced, for example, David. He's influenced Judas, who also did he influence. Acts 5, 1 to 3, but a certain man named Ananias with Zephira, his wife, sold the possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. And brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So who also was influenced by the devil? Ananias and Sapphira. The Bible says, uh, Apostle Peter says, speaking from the Holy Spirit, he says, Ananias, 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? And so the devil can influence our thoughts and our hearts so that we do that which is against the will of God. Now, how does the devil do that? How does he influence us to do what is wrong? There's a number of strategies that he does. One of the things that the devil knows, because he's been around a long time and he studies human nature, he knows our psychology sometimes better than we know it ourselves. And so what does he use against us? The book of James 1, 14 and 15, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so what does the devil use when it comes to his attempt to influence us? He knows us because he studies us. He can perhaps hear us, right? I mean, by the way, the devil is not everywhere at the same time. There are many demons that, he is, that he's working together with but they're not everywhere at the same time. Sometimes when we speak of the devil, we think of the devil as being everywhere, right? Like he's here in San Jose, and at the same time, he's somewhere in the Philippines, and at the same time, he's somewhere in, in Europe. No, he's a localized being. He's not omnipresent like Yahuwah, our God. This is why his influence is one person at a time, but he selects individuals who have high influence. This is why if he wants to really corrupt the world, he influences the kings. He influences the religious leaders. He's not going to influence the pawns. He will leave the other works to his other devils because they're like a team working together. But the devil himself, he is not omnipresent. But when he looks at an individual, he knows their weaknesses because every human being have desires built into their flesh. It's called the problem and weakness of our flesh because we are flesh. We have some weaknesses and tendencies and desires that go against the spirit. And so the devil knows this. And so he uses that against us. He causes these desires to be tempting so that when we, are, we fulfill the desire, the sinful action, if we don't repent, it grows and gives birth to death so that's how he kills us he knows our weaknesses he knows our uh temptation how else does the devil attempt to influence individuals second corinthians 4 verse 4 satan who is the god of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news they don't understand this message about the glory of christ who is the exact likeness of god according to the apostle paul satan also influence this world by blinding us so that we do not see the glorious light of the good news. And so one of the things that the devil has tried to do over the years is to remove the Bible from us. This is why if you study the history of the Holy Scriptures, it's a very strange history because so many people have tried to remove the Bible from us, right? Many people have tried to eradicate its existence from us. It's a good thing Yahuwah God is in control of all things, and he will not allow um, for the Bible to disappear. This is why up until today, the number one best-selling book by far in the whole world, despite many attempts to criticize it and remove it, it's still the Holy 
scriptures. This is because of the handiwork of God. He wants to preserve that because that is our way by which we can obtain salvation. So the devil, what he's going to do as much as he can is influence certain individuals so that the holy scriptures will not be able to shine so that we can receive its salvation. And so what if the Bible is with us? What if we're studying the Holy Bible? What if we're listening during the worship services, the word of God? What also is the tactic of the devil and his demons? Luke 8 and the verses 12, the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. And so we know the devil does not give up. Yes, Yahuwah God has preserved the scripture so that we have it in full. But the devil is relentless. So what, you, what will he try to do so that we don't benefit from the existence of the word of God? When we receive it, when it's preached, when we receive it, when we read it, what will he do? He will take away the word of God from our heart. And he will keep us from believing because he does not want us to be saved. And so that's the tactic, the strategy of the devil. He wants to influence us by making sure we are not influenced by the word of God. He wants to take the influence of God's words from our life. And so what must we do so that we can protect ourselves? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 5, the weapons we use in our fight are not the world's weapons, but God's powerful weapons, which we use to destroy strongholds. We destroy false arguments. We pull down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. And so if you notice today, one of the strategies of the devil is to infiltrate our educational system. And what does he do within the educational system of societies today? He removes the influence of Yahuwah, our God. And at the root of it, what has he planted so that he can remove uh, this idea that we must worship God? He takes God out altogether by introducing ideas which counter uh, the existence of God, right? What are some of these ideas? The ideas of atheism, evolution. What else? The ideas of pantheism, those who believe in so-called uh, the power of thought that you are able to control the universe because you yourselves are you are part of a pantheistic god and so these foreign ideas exist in the educational platforms throughout the world replacing the belief that there is god who created all things and so one of the ways that we need one of the things we need to do as the assembly of yahusha is to make sure that we destroy false arguments and we pull down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God. This is why last, I think uh, several weeks ago, we had the seminar concerning atheism. That's the reason why we do that, because we want to do our part to make sure our children are protected from the influence of the devil, because he's very subtle in his attack. He's subtle so that he can influence us without even us knowing it. However, sometimes there are, there are times that he is not very subtle 
and he will use something to help deceive those who he wants to destroy. What does he use? Second Thessalonians 2, 9 and 12, the wicked one will come with the power of Satan and perform all kinds of false miracles and wonders and use every kind of wicked deceit on those who will perish. They will perish because they did not welcome and love the truth so as to be saved. And so God sends the power of error to work in them so that they believe what is false. The result is that all who have not believed the truth but have taken pleasure in sin will be condemned. And so what will the devil do to help this in his work of deceiving people throughout the world? He will use false miracles and wonders so that people will be deceived. But who are those who will be deceived? Those who do not welcome and love the truth. So our best defense against the schemes of the devil is to, to love the truth. Where can we find the truth? The words of God. So that's our best defense. And when the devil begins to use his power, so, so it's very clear, the devil is not an ordinary person. He has power. What kind of power? Power that can, uh, can, that can do miracles and wonders. So power that we human beings are unable to do. This is why when it comes to our work against the devil, we cannot do it alone, right? And so what do we need? Let's read the book of Ephesians 6, 12 to 13. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits, in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. What do we need so that we can withstand the power of the enemy? We need to put on every piece of God's armor. This is why we had the worship service lesson about the armor of God. And we recommend that you watch uh, that worship service again so that we can be reminded of the weapon of God's armory that we need to put on to protect ourselves from the devil. Why do we need the armor of God and the full armor of God? Because the devil will use his power and he will have his companions working together with him. And so what are we up against, especially now when judgment day is near? The Bible says we're fighting not against flesh and blood enemies. We're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so to answer the question, can the devil read our minds? No. But because of his expertise in studying human nature, he knows our tendencies. And by knowing his our tendencies, he used temptations against us. He influences us by keeping us from believing the word of God. And he uses his power so that we can be influenced by dark and unseen uh, heavy, uh, evil forces and evil spirits against us. And so, especially now when we are preparing for Judgment Day, we need to put on the full armor of God. And so what we're going to do to help us do this, we're going to be conducting our second second youth virtual meeting and that will be this coming friday not this friday but may 21st at 6 p.m pacific standard time our topic will be protection from demonic 
influence because there's so many different forms of demonic influence some subtle very subtle things like like what we said infiltrating the educational system but sometimes they're quite blatant like the occult black magic people who uh, do seances summoning the dead the dead communicating with the dead and other dark forces that sometimes our youth dabble with out of curiosity and so these are things that are real and we need to protect ourselves from demonic influences. So what we're gonna do is we're, we're gonna watch a movie. Okay, we're gonna watch a documentary about demons. And then we're going to discuss it from a biblical point of view, okay? Uh, that's for May 21st, 2021. Uh, that's 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, okay? Let's go to our next question. Will it be a sin to accept debts payment if such money is sus suspected to have come from a shady deal? Okay, so what I'm seeing here is there's this brother or sister and there's another person. This person owes him or her money, right? And the person wants to pay the debt, but the person has, has a feeling that this money that will be given to him is dirty money because it came from a shady deal. And so the question is, should... We accept money if its source is from a, a, an illegal way of obtaining it, right? So what should we do? Okay, I'm going to answer this in two ways. Number one, do we know for sure? If you know for sure, for example, you're receiving money that was obtained illegally or it was obtained using dishonest means, what should be our response, okay? That's the first thing I wanna address. If we know for sure, know for sure that the person we're dealing with is a criminal and you're going to get money that was obtained illegally, what is our response as followers of Yahuwah? The book of Proverbs 29, verse 24, the accomplice of a thief is his own enemy. He's put under oath and they're not testifying. According to scriptures, uh, if you are an accomplice of a thief, then how can you be an accomplice of a thief? If a person obtains illegally, perhaps by crime or stealing something, the money that he owes you and gives it to you, then you become an accomplice of the thief. And if you become an accomplice of a thief, the Bible says you are your own enemy. And so the Bible warns us against that. And... What also does Yahuwah God warn us about? The book of Deuteronomy 23, 17 to 18, no Israelite, whether man or woman, may become a temple prostitute. When you are bringing an offering to fulfill a vow, you must not bring to the house of Yahuwah, your God, any offering from the earnings of a prostitute, whether a man or a woman, for both are detestable to Yahuwah, your God. And so the Bible speaks about um, earnings or money that is dirty, dirty money that comes from the earnings of a temple prostitute. That's, obvious, that's obviously dirty because the Bible says it is detestable to Yahuwah our God. And so because this, if the source of the money is from a, the earnings of a prostitute and that money you will use to bring an offering to Yahuwah's house, the Bible says don't do that. That is detestable to Yahuwah our God. Now, what the, does the temple, who is the temple of Yahuwah our God today? 
Who's the temple today? That would be us, right? And so if we're going to receive money that has been obtained in ways that is detestable to Yehovah God, and we bring it to ourselves, then following this pattern, we know this is detestable to our almighty God. So if we know for sure that we're dealing with a criminal, if we know for sure this person who owes you money and he's going, he wants to pay you back, but the money he's going to pay you back with is dirty money, quote unquote, don't accept that money. Instead, what should we do? Ephesians 5, 10 to 11, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. And so what's the best thing to do? If we know, if we know that the person we're dealing with who owes us money is going to pay us back, but with money obtained illegally or through criminal activity. Bible says have no part in it. Instead, what should we do? Expose them. What does that mean? How are we going to expose them? Do we... Uh, the best way to expose them, like what we've discussed before, is to bring the light to them. What I would do in your case, I mean, if you're asking for advice, this is what I would do. I would just ask this person, um, you know, uh, this person who owes me money, just keep the money uh, to, to use. Just don't pay me back anymore and just sever the relationship, right? Why would you want to have a relationship with a criminal? Why are you going to jeopardize your good name? by having a connection with someone that you know, you obviously know, is engaged in criminal or illegal activity. So have nothing to do with this person, sever that relationship. Perhaps the safest way to do that is by talking to the individual, look, I know you owe me this money, but you can keep it, you can have it, okay? But let's just part ways peacefully, do what you wanna do, but I don't wanna have any part in what you are, doing right and so we're 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 willing to take a loss we're willing to just forego the money that you let the person borrow because we want to sever this connection with any kind of wrongdoing or work of darkness what will this require on our part hebrews 13 verse 5 don't love money be satisfied with what you have for god has said i will never fail you i will never abandon you this requires trust on our part that Yahuwah god will not fail us he will not abandon us he will provide for our needs so this is what we need to do or what we should do according to the bible if we know the person that we're dealing with really is a criminal and the uh, the money that he is going to pay you back with was obtained illegally. However, according to the question, if we go back to the question, the payer insists that it's clean money though, but I feel otherwise, please advise. And there's, that's the dilemma of the question, right? When you confront the individual, of course, he's gonna say, no, this is clean money, but you feel otherwise. And so you're not 100% certain if it's clean or not. So in this situation, when you are not 100% certain if the money you're going to get from this person is clean or not, what is the best thing to do? 1 Peter 3, verse 16, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when you see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So what's the best thing to do? 
if you're suspecting that the person you are dealing with has obtained the money illegally. Well, you want to maintain and keep your conscience clear, right? Why? Because if you don't have a clear conscience, then it's going to affect you in your relationship with who? Yahuwah God. If you don't have a clear conscience, it's going to affect also our good name. They can use that against us in the future. Who knows? I mean, you may be right. You know, what if you are right? Is it worth losing your clear conscience to get that money back? And so when it comes to having a clear conscience, for me, I think that weighs more. That's more valuable than any kind of, no matter how, uh, the amount of money that you can get back. And so we need to keep our conscience clear. How do we do that? How can we keep our conscience clear? Second Corinthians 1.12, we can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our, human, our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world and especially toward you. How can we keep our conscience clear? Bible says by being sincere in all of our dealings. And so in all of our dealings, we need to keep our integrity. And how can we do this when we depend on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom? And so if we depend on God's grace, we know by doing the right thing, Yahuwah God will not fail us. He will not abandon us. Now, what is conscience, right? What is conscience in the first place? Why is it good to keep our conscience clean and clear? Let's read the book of Romans 2, 14 and 15. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they, that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. So where does the conscience uh, that we need to keep clear at all times come from? Well, the conscience that we have operates because Yahuwah, our God, has written his laws in our hearts. This is why we instinctively know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Even before the Ten Commandments was given to us, right? We already know in our heart the Ten Commandments are true. Why? Because it was written already in our heart. It was just codified during the days of Moses. But even before days of Moses, the laws of God were already written in our hearts. And so that serves as our conscience. And so when we break the laws of God, for example, we kill someone, our conscience will bother us. We have this feeling of guilt. The conscience within us, that is like our spider sense telling us, oh, this is a sin. We better not do this right? And so if our conscience is bothering us and we should not take that deal, we should not take that money because it's important to keep a clear conscience. Why? First John 3, 19 to 20, uh, then we will know for sure by our actions that we are on God's side and our consciences will be clear even when we stand before the Lord. But if we have, but if we have bad consciences and feel that we have done wrong, the Lord will surely feel it even more for he knows everything we do so it's good to have a good conscience to clear it so that when we stand before god we have confidence okay but 
When it comes to the conscience, what is the warning of Jehovah God? Timothy 4.2, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So the conscience can be seared. What happens to your conscience when it's seared? It's no longer functioning correctly. Your spider sense, quote unquote, stops working. Why? Because it's been jaded. It's been seared. When can it be seared? When we keep ignoring our conscience. The purpose of conscience is to tell us about our sin. But if we keep ignoring it and ignoring it and ignoring it, eventually our conscience no longer feels the pain of sin. That's dangerous. Because when we no longer feel the pain of sin, then we can go on sinning and sinning without repenting and renewing our life. This is why we need to keep our conscience clear. And so when a person, for example, starts out small, maybe despite the conscience that is bothering them, they still accept the payment of that money. Eventually, if you keep ignoring that, then it can become seared over the days, over the weeks, over the years. And we don't want that to happen to any individual. We want to keep it clean. We want to keep it clear so that it functions to help us so that we can keep away from sin, which we know can jeopardize our salvation. Okay. All right. Let's go to our last question for today. Dear Brother John, please explain to us the parable of the shrewd manager, Luke 16, 1 to 9. How many here are familiar with the parable of the shrewd manager? It's a very interesting parable. And I think it would really help us to really look into this parable. And so the conclusion of the parable eight to nine says the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of the line. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcome into eternal dwelling. So the question is, is being shrewd being smart or being evil? Is it negative or positive? Why was the dishonest manager being commended? Okay, so that's the question concerning the parable. So before answering the question about the parable, let's go to the parable first. Let's begin with Luke uh, chapter 16 and the verses are one to two. Yahusha told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And so the parable of the shrewd manager begins this way. There's a rich man who has a lot of possessions, a rich man who has a lot of wealth, right? Back in the days of Yahusha, wealthy people hired stewards or managers who would manage their wealth for them. It was like a financial planner of today, right? And so even back then, there were financial planners. And so these people who were managers, they were managing somebody else's wealth, right? It's not their own wealth. It's somebody else's wealth. In many ways, we are like managers of somebody else's wealth. What do you mean we are managers of somebody else's wealth? When you think about it, all of us human beings, the wealth that we have, who does it come from? It really comes from who? Yahuwah God. It's not really ours. We're just managing it for Yahuwah. It's not ours. 
And so in many ways, we are like that manager. The wealth that we have is not really ours. We are but stewards. That's why in the Greek, when you look at the manager, it says stewards. In other words, they are the ones entrusted. So the wealth that we have has been entrusted to us by Yahuwah God. We need to use it wisely. I want you to uh, remember that word. We need to use it wisely. And so in this parable of Yahusha, there's this manager. But this manager was accused of wasting his possessions. He wasn't doing a good job of taking care of the, uh, the rich man's possessions. And so what did this rich man do? He said, give me an account of your management because you're going to be fired. You cannot be manager any longer. So he's going to lose his job, right? The manager is going to lose his job. And so what does this manager do? Who's going to lose his job? Three down to four. The manager said to himself, well, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so here's this manager who's about to lose his job. He's looking at his situation and he's thinking about his future. And so as he was thinking about his future, what plan or idea did he come up with? He said, well, I'm gonna lose my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, I'm not gonna beg. And so what I'm going to do is win friends. I'm going to befriend the people around here who might one day maybe can offer me a job. I'm going to befriend these people who are capable so that maybe they can help me in the future. And so this manager is thinking about his future, right? And so what is his plan? How can he befriend these people so that in the future, these people can help him out? Well, let's read five to six. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. I'm going to pause there for a while. So this master is rich. Perhaps he's selling lots of things, right? And so there are people who owe, who purchase some uh, certain things from the master. And so there are many people who, uh, there are people who owed this, this rich master some money or some wealth. So he calls, he called in each one of them, his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, because he was still holding the books, right? The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400, <laughs> like under the table. And so instead of owing 800, he knows only owe how much? 400, that's a big discount, right? And so this person who owes the master 800 gallons of olive oil, do you think he's gonna feel indebted? Yeah, he's gonna feel indebted to this manager. So he, because he's doing him a favor, okay? And so that's one, another one. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. That's the savings of how much? 200. So these two individuals, he helped out by cheating the bill, right? And so he was practicing uh, dishonestly so that he can win them as friends. So that when he loses his job, these two people will be indebted to him. So when they ask for their help, what do you think they're gonna say? Well, thanks for helping me out earlier. I'm gonna help you now, right? So that was, 
the plan of this is what he did, this manager. And so the master finding out what this manager did, what did he say? Let's read verse eight. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And so the question is, is it good to be shrewd? Why was the dishonest manager commended? Was he being commended for his dishonesty? No. Okay. Was he commended? In this parable of Yahusha, does the master commend the manager? Yes, he does. Right? But before he commends the manager, he condemns the manager first. How? Because he says this manager is dishonest. Do you see that? He calls the manager what? Dishonest. Earlier, the master does not call him dishonest, just irresponsible, but not dishonest. Now he condemns it. He says, you are dishonest. When you are called dishonest, is that commended or condemned? That's condemned, right? And so at first, he identifies his manager and says he's dishonest. He's condemning his dishonesty. He's not commending the dishonesty. Then why was he commended? Well, he wasn't being commended for his dishonesty because he cheated the books. What was he commended for? Well, if you look at it, because he had acted shrewdly. And so this manager was commended, not because of the dishonesty of what he did, but because he acted shrewdly. Now, what does that word shrewdly mean? Because when we think of the word shrewd, it has this connotation of, it's negatively connotated, right? Like a shrewd business deal. And so you're thinking of people who are cunning. But when we look at the word shrewdly, the word that was used in the Greek, in Luke chapter 16, verse 8, in the Greek, and we're going to go to our favorite website. What is that again? Blueletterbible.org. Uh, blue this is what it says there. The word used is G543, which is phronimos, which means what? Wisely. It wasn't shrewdly, but wisely. When we look at that Greek word, 54330, it says prudently, wisely. This is how it's used in other scriptures. Okay? The Strong's definition, again, prudently, wisely. In Thayer's lexicon, it is also prudently, wisely. And so there's no negative connotation, right? It just means prudent. It just means wisely. And so when we look at this parable, this manager was being commended, not for his dishonesty. He was being commended for his wisdom, for his wise action, okay? He was not being commended for his dishonesty. Well, what was the wise thing that he did? He prepared for his what? Future. In other words, he planned for the future. And so what Yahusha wants us to do is to learn not the, not the dishonest part, but the part where he acted with what? With shrewdness or with wisdom. This is why when you look at this passage, after the masters commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, Yahushua says in uh, part 8b, right? Because the, basically the parable ends when the master commended the dishonest manager because he, he had acted shrewdly. And then Yahushua is now 
uh, giving us this commentary. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So after giving the parable, Yahusha tells us that the people of the light, who is that? Who are the people of the light? That's us, followers of Yahusha. The people of the light can learn something from the people of the world. What is that? How they are shrewd. How they are prudent or wise when it comes to the use of their what? Wealth. The parable is about wealth. We too are managers of our own wealth. And so how do we use our wealth for the future? That's the whole point. So when after he gave this parable, Yahusha had three applications for this parable that focus on our use of our wealth for the future. Okay, so this, this honest manager, although he, although he was called shrewd because of the way he prepared for the future, how can we, the people of the light, best act with wisdom concerning the things that we have? And so let's look at the first application. Remember, there's three applications of this parable. The first one is in verse 9. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. That's the first lesson. And in this first lesson, Yahusha is telling us how we ought to use our worldly resources. How must we use it? To benefit others. In other words, we should use it to help the poor. We should use it to help build, build bridges so that people can know more about Yahusha. And so we use our worldly resources to benefit others. The shrewd manager in the parable, uh, how did he use the worldly resource? To make friends for his selfish reasons, right? So that when he's out of a job, someone can help him out. Yahushua saying, you have to do better than that. What is Yahushua telling us? For the people of the light, we have to be wiser than that. What do we need to do? We need to use our worldly resources to help to benefit others, not to benefit ourselves. Why is that the wise thing to do? Because even if you are the, the most shrewd, the shrewdest, most, the, the most uh, wise business planner, financial planner in the world, you know exactly where to invest and you make millions and millions of dollars. Even if you are Lee Iacocca or Warren Buffett, the Bible says when your earthly possessions are gone, what does that mean? Worldly wealth will eventually disappear. Time will come when it will be of no value. And so Yahushua is telling us, we, the people of the light, we use our worldly resources to benefit others so that when all the earthly possessions are gone, guess what? We're going to have an eternal home. In other words, what Yahushua is telling us, we need to use our worldly riches, our worldly resources to prepare for a better place, an eternal home. Home, okay, that's the first application. What's the second application? We let's read 10 down to 12. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your? own so what is the second application of the parable of the shrewd manager 
to be faithful in little things and to be faithful in other people's things. The shrewd manager, was he faithful in other people's things? He wasn't. This is why uh, the master had to, uh, pick, uh, he had to uh, confront him and tell him about the accusations made against him, right? And so he wasn't faithful with other people's things. Not only that, he, wasn't, he was not faithful in little things. And so how can he be faithful in large things? And so what is the point of Yahusha? We need to learn from the parable to be faithful even with little things, to be faithful with other people's things, and most of all, to make sure that we don't end up losing the true riches of heaven because of worldly wealth. And so Yahusha is pointing to the future and telling us to prepare for that as well. And lastly, the third application, verse 13, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so that's the third application. We need to use money or worldly wealth, not as a master, but as a servant. In other words, we use money to help people so that when the day comes, when all the material wealth will be gone, we will be allowed to receive our earthly, our heavenly riches, okay? So when it comes to the parable of the shrewd manager, what we need to learn is the wise use of our wealth, which is as a steward of God's possessions and not to learn the dishonesty, not to be, not to practice cheating or dishonesty. That's not shrewdness. That's not part of the shrewdness. Part of the shrewdness is preparing for the future by being faithful in what God has given us. Okay. All right. That's our, those are the questions we're going to discuss for today. Uh, thank you for joining us in our Bible study for this evening. Before we go ahead and part ways, let's stand for our concluding prayer. Almighty and merciful Father. Yes. Father. Thank you so much, loving Abba. Yes. For giving us the gift of your holy words. Yes. Help us to cherish the principles that we learn. Teach us every day, Father, to look forward to what you will do. We know, Yahuwah Abba, you're yes. going to soon put an end to this world. Yes. Teach us to make better use of our resources, yes. that we can be your instruments to benefit other people, Amen. that many more can be embraced by the power of salvation. Amen. Yahushua, our King, teach yes. us and protect us from the enemy. We know that he's working around, seeking to devour and destroy. Yes. But we know that you are with us as our shepherd. Yes. Please protect your sheep. May you please help us to endure until the end. Amen. Father, bless your people always. May you yes. keep us safe and prepare us for the great day of our salvation. Amen. We ask and beg everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Amen.